the great tribulation. Would you be so kind and generous to open your Bibles to the Gospel according to St. Matthew 24. We are so grateful to be here today, and I am grateful here to be amid, among, strangers, pilgrims, sojourners, in a land, a homeland, that was once a wonderful and a great place to live. We now know that we essentially have no homeland. And we are, in many ways, strangers, pilgrims, and sojourners in the land that our fathers explored, settled, civilized, and through blood, sweat, and tears, carved out one of the most exceptional, if not the most exceptional nations ever to exist in all of the annals of history. Never did a country rise so rapidly to greatness and I don't know that there's ever been a nation that has descended into the abyss more rapidly than the country called America. Those who love this country cry out to the living God knowing what this country once was, what it once stood for, what it used to be, to be an American. To be an American in one generation, not too awfully far removed from ours, we'd have to go back, of course, probably at least minimum to the 1950s, but to be an American in America in 1950, it was a calling. First of all, you would typically, in 1950, you would be white. 90% of all the people living here in 1950 were white. You would be typically a church-going American because the majority of all the people were in church every week. So you would be a church attendee. You would have a spiritual connection. You would be a Bible believer because the Bible was still the book for America in 1950. You would also be a person who believed that God had given you life and it was up to you to do something with that life. That no one owed you anything. That it was up to you to take the talents and the gifts that God gave you, the hand that he dealt, and go out and do the best you could with a hand that God dwelt you. It was a wonderful land. It was a glorious land. It was a land where children begin their school day with the Lord's Prayer with a hymn or two, with a pledge to a nation under God. You would be living in a land that still revered its founding fathers. Still had a wonderful place in your heart for George Washington. Beautiful picture of our founding father hung in every one-room school in this country. A time when 
the Ten Commandments hung on the wall of every little school building in the land. It was day and time when children could grow up without hearing profanity. It was time when young people grew up and they would almost never see or hear of divorce. It was a wonderful time. A homosexual was so scarce that they dared not come out of their closet. If they did, it was under darkness and in secret. Race mixing almost unknown. It was a criminal offense to marry outside your race. It was a wonderful time to be living. It was a glorious time. Technology had not made its great advances yet. In 1950, there was no cell phone in 1950. Many homes did not even have electricity in the rural sector of America. In the more poverty-stricken areas of the country in 1950. There was no electricity here in 1950 at all. No rural electric system yet had moved in. So it was a world that was minus a lot of the comfort. Much of the creature comforts were not there. We had no washing machines that we like today. No dryers. Everybody hung their clothes out on the line. Winter, spring, summer, and fall. It was a day and time when technology was really developing. But the morality of that day and time was so radically different that it's hard. It's hard for me personally to transition to the world that I now find myself living in. That's why I use the word pilgrims, strangers, sojourners in a homeland that's becoming hard to identify with. Because who wants to identify with so much of what's happening in America today? Who, who in heaven would want to be labeled a typical American that's going to go along to get along? I think that you understand what I'm saying. So today, beloved, I want you to turn to the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 24, to the very last known prophecy that Jesus gave before his crucifixion. I'll just read a couple of three verses here from the 24th chapter of Matthew. And we'll build a lesson around a certain word that we'll read about. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 21, if you'll turn there. Would you join me in the reading? Thank you, boys and girls and everyone. The very words of Jesus 2,000 years ago on the eve of his crucifixion. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world, to this time nor ever shall be. Now, before we read the next verse, I want you to, get, I want you to think about that statement. Jesus said there is going to be a time of tribulation, such as was not. Something, some trouble that has never been equaled 
in all the history of the world. Such has never been, not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. What a statement that a time of, of tribulation, a good synonym for tribulation might be what? Trouble, adversity. There's probably a lot of other words could be added. Let's go to verse 22. Except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, the days shall be shortened. Think of those words. Except those days should be shortened, no one would be saved. Now the word flesh is a very interesting word. How many of you can remember back, and this will take you back in a little bit of America, American history, Americana. How many of you remember when you'd buy a box of Crayolas and there would be a flesh-colored Crayola? Raise your hand if you can remember back then. What color is flesh-colored? What color was that in the cray crayon box? All right, it was flesh-colored. It was pinkish. It was a, look, look at your arm, look at your hand. It was a color of your white skin, pinkish. Showing just a little blood through the pigmentation. When Jesus said, there shall no flesh be saved, I'd like to prophetically tell you that he's talking about your people. Except the days be shortened, your people, your kindred, your kind. Could not be found. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. Deception, for there shall arise false Christ, false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders. Insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Let me hold up in my hand today. <clears throat> an instrument that has the very ability to do what I just read. This cell phone has within its content and its outreach the ability, the possibility of achieving the signs and the wonders that we may be reading about in Matthew 24. This device that I hold in my hand, a cell phone, which many people can use to great advantage and do so. It's a tool in the hand of a good balanced mind, a wonderful way to accomplish a lot. Quickly, decisively, with marvels beyond description, with one click, I can ask almost any question that I would find in a World Book Encyclopedia and instantly find the answer. If our ancestors could have imagined that all the technology of the last hundred years in communication could be packed into one small, compact 
cell phone that I hold in my hand, they would not believe it. This cell phone will do more that I hold in my hand than the giant computers that I was first introduced to in the United States Air Force in 1962. They had computers that would reach from this pulpit to that reader's desk and beyond. And it would require as many as 20 people to operate it. And it could hardly do a fraction of what this cell phone can do. This cell phone will do more than all the combined computer power that America possessed in that day. How many Americans have a cell phone? This cell phone will tell who you are, where you are, where you go to sleep, where you go to shop. It will tell what music you listen to. It will tell where you travel. It knows every detail of your life. There's hardly anything about you that this cell phone does not know. Everything that's important is known by this little tiny cell phone. It's incredible. Do you know that all the technology that was known in the world from the time that Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden until the last recent period of history, more technology has been born since the birth of some of the young people in this church that had been born in hundreds of years. We're living in an incredible time of history. It's incredible. Our moral fabric has not kept pace with the development of technology. Our ethics and our morals are in collapse while technology is being magnified. And our, the absence of Christian morality makes this technology dangerous beyond words. There should be somebody saying amen. Technology will end up not being your friend it will be the greatest single enemy you ever imagined having in all of human history. Because with technology, they will be able to build and plan a world unlike any world we've ever imagined. And that's what they're about now. So I believe and this is a, an opinion that I'm not asking anyone else to share. When Jesus said there's going to be a time <clears throat> of tribulation or trouble such as never was, essentially it's going to be because we are incapably morally and ethically from managing the technology that we've created. God has gifted his people with the intelligence to create technology that their morality is not able to sustain and to manage. So reading back now to Matthew 24, 
The Bible says, Matthew 24, that if it were possible, they would deceive the very elect. How many people do you think can be held in deception by this cell phone now owned by most every American? How much deception is possible to come through this cell phone? How many know that you can find out information here that's destructive? You know that to be true, yes. So great deception was to be an, a characteristic of the time of trouble. Now, when Jesus said there'll be great tribulation, we know he's not talking about the kind of tribulation that all of us have sustained in our personal walk through this life and world because everyone has suffered some personal tribulation. If you haven't, you will. Everybody's going to have some tribulation. The book of Acts tells us in Acts 20, 22 that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that being a Christian is a walk in the park. Nowhere does it say that you'll live in roses, a, ro a rose-strewn pathway on your way to the kingdom. In fact, the Bible gives a prediction that the road, the path to the kingdom is going to be rocky. It's going to be like the road not taken in the poem by Robert Frost when he wrote The Road Not Taken. And he was riding his little horse through the forest and he came to a fork in the road and the road divided. One road was seemingly well-traveled and looked very inviting, safe, and comfortable. The other road was less traveled with grass growing in the tracks and like very few people had chosen that road. But the moral of that beautiful poem is, in the road not taken, is that because this traveler chose the mostly untraveled road, it ended up in a wonderful, wonderful paradise at the end. But the other well-traveled road didn't end up that well. Reminding us of the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Straight is the gate and broad is the way which leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. Few Few there be that find it. Few there be that take the road not often traveled. We're promised tribulation in life. That's how we grow, folks. It's not the tribulation that hurts you. It's how you respond to it. How do you respond to the hard events of life? Does it turn you into a well of bitterness? Do you become an embittered soul? Do you become sour and hateful to those around you? Not the tribulation 
but your response that becomes so important. And so we encourage all of us here today to know that one of the reasons we have a congregation is so that we gather together on a regular basis. It's one of the endless reasons why people need a church. Every time this congregation gathers, heaven and earth are coming together. We come here as children of this earth and of this world. But we're kingdom believers and we are looking for the city that Abraham sought for, a city whose builder and maker is God. But when we gather, heaven and earth converge. We say, our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Do you know when we make that prayer, church, every time we say that prayer, we're begging God that His will, not ours, be done. You know that's the most healthy way in the world to pray. Not your will, but God's will. So we pray for rain today. But we have to remember God teaches us how to pray. God says, and this is the confidence. I love the word confidence. I pray you do too. This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything, anything, you know the next line. According to His will. He heareth us. And if he heareth us, whatsoever we ask, we have the petitions that we desire of him. Now that's a fire sure way to pray. Because you're committing your will to the greater will. My prayer today is that God would send us rain. That's my prayer. But I have to submit that to the greater will of my Father. Because He knows so much more than I do. I know so little in the face of how much He knows. If you'll turn now to the gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 13. Chapter 13 of the gospel of Mark. Mark gives this version of what we call the Great Tribulation. This is how Mark recorded the story of the great tribulation that he heard from Jesus on that last prophetic sermon called the Oliviate Discourse. I'll break in at verse 24, Mark 13. So follow along, please. Let's read together. But in those days, after that tribulation, now Mark goes right to the heart of the matter. He says, I'm not going to deal very long with this tribulation. After that great tribulation, he says, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars of heaven shall fall, 
the powers are in heaven shall be shaken. Then shall they see the Son of Man, Christ our Savior, coming in the clouds. The clouds are clouds of people, all the redeemed, all the holy angels coming with him. In power and great glory. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect. This is the great regathering of Israel, preparation for the kingdom. From the four winds, from the uttermost part of earth to the uttermost part out of heaven. Now let's go back to Mark. Let's back up to verse 20. Thank you. Let's go to Mark 13, 20. This is Mark's way of explaining the great time of tribulation. Mark says it this way, reading now from Mark 13, 20. Except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he has shortened the days. Do you know that God is going to shorten the number of days to save his people? That's an indication of how bad the tribulation is going to get. How bad do you think the tribulation is going to be? Just how bad is bad? How much tribulation is going to be part of the tribulation? Well, if it's so bad that the only way that we can be saved out of it is for God to cut the time short, that would indicate it's not going to be very pleasant. Then if any man shall say in it to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there. Believe him not. For false Christs and false prophets, deception shall rise and shall show great, shall show signs and wonders to seduce, it, to seduce if it were possible, even the elect. But take ye heed, Behold, I have foretold you all things. Do you know, beloved, we've just had a very vivid, real-life experience as a country with deception. Do you remember the microphones and the voices that were telling us that the pandemic would last for about two weeks, that the curve would be flattened, the lockdown would be lifted, and we'd be back to normal. Do you remember that? That was the initial promise. Two days to flatten the curve of the spread of the virus. Turned out to be deceptive. You and I have lived in a world of almost total deception for the last three years. The total amount of truth that your ears may have heard on the national media networks and all the channels of news is probably less than 2% truth. We live in an age of liars, deception, which I think is one of the hallmarks of the approaching tribulation. Because people are adjusted to believing lies. They bought into the injection. How many millions... Believe the lie of the spike 
protein experimental gene therapy injection, that it was a vaccine that would save them from COVID. They believed it. How many didn't? People that were sensitive to the lies and the deception. <clears throat> now, three years later, history has vindicated the lies and the deception. Millions and millions of people have unnecessarily died. On the day of judgment, the hundreds of thousands of elderly people that were locked up in nursing homes from their loved ones who lived as prisoners and they might as well have been in red China as to have lived in America where they were being housed under house arrest. Their very loved ones could not access them. Will those responsible for this horrific suffering stand in judgment before a living God? I dare, I dare say they will. But it's shameful that we live in a country that accepted that reality. Americans did not have to believe the lies. We didn't have to believe those lies. You had a governor in North Dakota, a woman governor, the Deborah of our time, Christy Noam, who said, no, we're not gonna lock this South Dakota state down while we lose our freedom. We'll keep our freedom and take the risk. That's the American way. It's how we got our country back in the War of Independence. People willing to take the risk to remain free to be free. Turn with me to the Gospel of Mark. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give their testimony to what Jesus had told them on the eve of his death about the great tribulation. So let's go to Mark chapter 21. Mark chapter 21. And I'll break in at verse 25. Mark 21, 25. There shall be signs of the sun and in the moon and in the stars. And upon the earth distress of nations. With perplexity the sea and the waves roaring. Men's hearts failing them for fear. For looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Now that is a verse that we ought to hold. We, have, we should have that underlined. Jeremiah 23, 18. Who has stood in the council and perceived and marked my word? Who hath marked my word and heard it? When you see these Signs coming to pass. Lift up your heads and rejoice. For your redemption is drawing nigh. 
That's a wonderful statement for us to hold on to. Let's drop down to verse 32. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Jesus is talking about the generation that witnesses the events he's describing. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. One of our young people posted a statement on their cell phone. It was in a text message that God's word is more secure than the earth we live on. Heaven and earth will pass away, but God says my word will still be standing. What a statement. What assurance do we have to read the Bible? To be a Bible-believing church body. So important for our time in history. So important for our children. You know, beloved, the purpose of education regarding our children, young people in general, it has been said by a very wise person that the purpose of education is the chosen means by which a culture passes on from one generation to another everything that makes that culture what it is. That's the purpose of education. We want our children to embrace the knowledge that will perpetuate the 6,000 year paradigm of Western Christian civilization. Now in modern America, education has changed its goals. It's now devoted to the dismantling of the culture of Western Christian civilization. The goal of every Ivy League university, no exceptions please, all the Ivy League schools in this country a majority of all public schools, yes, are devoted to dismantling the culture that education used to transfer from generation to generation. And the reason they give is because they say the culture of the Western Christian world is illegitimate. They say this is an illegitimate culture. It's racist. It's built on colonialism. It's built on the oppression of white people against the rest of the world. They say that the American Tradition, the American tradition is a tradition that must be overthrown. Words of Thomas Dewey, Charles Potter. Do you know what Thomas Dewey and Charles Potter both said about the public school? Charles Potter, one of the pioneers of public education, said 
and I'll give a paraphrase quote. He said, the purpose of a public school is a school of humanism. It's designed to be the religion of humanism to wean our children away from Christianity and all the traditions that have built Western Christian civilization. That is modern education in America. We are now educating a generation that are going to overthrow the country. They're ready. Majority of the Z generation are being trained as radical revolutionaries in the public colleges and in the universities and public schools of the land. Now, back to the Gospel of Luke. Let me read verse 34. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting. Folks, that word surfeiting is not skiing on a lake. You're not, you're not skiing on a lake. Surfeiting is a form of debauchery, drunkenness, cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That verse has been used by evangelical preachers to say, you see that word escape? God is going to let us escape out of the tribulation in the rapture. We will escape the tribulation. They believe that. Millions of Christians believe that they will be secretly raptured out ahead of the tribulation. Do you think that they will be disappointed? I think that the rapture is one of the greatest deceptions that has been culcated in Western Christian theology in the last 150, 200 years. It, it was birthed back in the early, early 1800s. Now, we're going to bring this lesson to closure by going back to the book of Daniel, if you will, please. I'm going to Daniel 12.1. Thank you for turning there with me. I'm in Daniel 12.1. And the Bible says this in the, in the book of Daniel, chapter number 12, verse 1. You might want to read this with me, please. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. There shall be a time of trouble. Can you say that phrase? There shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. Now, that's almost exactly what we read in Matthew 24 in the words of Jesus. A time of trouble such as never once, never was, even to that time. At that time, thy people shall be delivered. 
everyone that shall be found written in the book. You and I do not know how severe and intense the tribulation that's now developing is going to be. If you are up to speed and I give you three call letters, how many know what I speak of if I say that three letters now are being used to describe the America that they are building. It's called ESG. So how many know what those letters stand for? Okay, E is environmental. Where they're going to measure the carbon footprint of every American. How many miles you drive. How much energy, energy should be allocated to you. Whether or not you will be forced to park a fossil-fueled vehicle. Trouble is coming, church. And I'm trying to... To be forewarned is to be forearmed. Armed with truth. The environmental arm of the New World Order is being... Married to large corporations. The large corporations are being joined at the hip with environmentalism, with the social construct. So what is the social construct? The social construct is to build a profile of every American based upon your use of the cell phone. What do you post? Where do you where do you travel? Where are you where do you go to church? What do you buy? What do you sell? Where do you sleep? There's a profile that's being built. So we'll all be given a credit score. It's called a social score. And it will, it will determine how much freedom we have or whether we will be labeled as needing education and reform. That's the S, the measuring of our social life. The G is government, the growth of government. Now, you've come here today to have reassurance. And I know that I've given a lesson that's alarming. Because we live in an alarming day, people. How would God look at me on a day yet to arrive, speaking of the judgment of God, and he would say, you people didn't even talk about the difficult days that were coming. So I don't want anyone here to think that we're headed into marvelous days in this country. I think we live in a country under judgment. Now, we may be ripe for catastrophic judgment. That's, that's where we're, that's what we would deserve. The kind of catastrophic judgment that buried Sodom and Gomorrah in fire and brimstone at the bottom of the Dead Sea. Now God may be more merciful. 
and he may make it more mild than that. But we're under judgment, church. And God is going to respond to the remnant based on their hearts and how they relate to God and one another. The greatest thing that you and I must do, we must love God with all our heart and mind and soul, and we must love one another. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. When Moses told the children of Israel, in the latter days, trouble will come. Think about that. How old is the prophetic words of Moses in Deuteronomy 4? How old are those words? My goodness. Deuteronomy 4.30. When thou art in tribulation, not if you find yourself in tribulation, when you are in tribulation, Moses is saying, look, you're going to be in tribulation in the last days. And all these things are come upon thee. Even in the latter days, the last days run from the first advent of Jesus, his birth to his second coming. The last 2,000 years have been the last days. But now, Moses is talking about the last of the last days. The latter days, if thou turn to the Lord thy God, and shall be obedient unto his voice, the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant of thy fathers. Church, in closing today, I make this promise to this congregation. Our ability to, ma to manage the tribulation will be based upon our faithfulness to God. How zealous we are as believers in this body. How close are we to our Father in heaven? Is our prayer life acceptable? Is our Bible attachment and reading acceptable? Is our relationship to each other acceptable to God? Everything must conform to what pleases God. And the more that we seek to live by His moral law, you'll handle the cell phone only if you purpose to live by the principles of God's morality. The moment you let the wrong click go on in this phone, you can get yourself in trouble. So, to each of you today, don't look at this lesson as a Debbie Downer. Look at it as, when you see these things come to pass, look up, lift up your heads, rejoice, watch God display His greatness for his children. God will not forsake his people. Did he take you through COVID-19? Did he bring you through the fire of the lockdown? How many of us went hungry in the lockdown? God is with us, church. So let's be with him. 
Let's walk with him. And let's purpose to love each other and love God with all our hearts. Shall we stand? Now I'm